Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Herbalism segment of the Elder Tree Podcast. I am your host, Tennille Christensen from Earth Mama, where I teach people how to thrive and get skilled for sustainability. As an educator, kitchen witch and plant lover, I welcome you to tune in as I interview permaculturalists from around the world. We will learn holistic ways of integrating plants into our homes, gardens and communities for healing. Together, we will explore the art and science of this regenerative design system and harvest the collective wisdom. Permaculture offers a pathway to empower people to develop their lifestyles and landscapes. So let's discover how to grow and know plants with a purpose. Okay, well, welcome to our first ever episode of the Permaculture Herbalism segment of this podcast. I am your host, Tennille Christensen, and I am interviewing myself today. So when you listen to our other episodes, you'll get the flow that for this first launch for September, for spring 2022, you'll be hearing from each of us, um, the four segments, uh, just to sort of learn a little bit so we can share with you who we are uh, and give you a bit of an introduction into our lives and why we're doing this, our podcasts. And then moving onwards, we're going to be interviewing some really incredible people. Uh, So let's begin. What I'm going to do with this podcast today is just go through the flow really of questions that I will be asking our interviewees. So the intention for this particular um, podcast or this segment of permaculture herbalism is really to share holistic ways so that people can integrate plants into their homes, into their gardens, and also communities for healing. So with permaculture, we're going to be exploring the art and the science of this regenerative design system. So a bit about me, um, I have uh, a beautiful little garden in Karanda, Jabagai country in far north Queensland. I have grown up in north Queensland uh, most of my life in Townsville and not just little Townsville but just on the outskirts in Rupertswood or uh, along the Alice River and it's it was a like, little rural bush community with um I never had horses, all my friends had horses, I'd visit them. We had a pony club and we used to do boot scooting (laughs) Um, down at the community hall of all things, so bush dances and the likes. Um, I was born in 84, so that brings me to 39 years wise coming up. And uh, apart from living in that rural area on the weekends and school holidays, I grew up in a little beach house community at Black River, um, just north of Townsville. So, yep, pretty much couldn't wait to leave (laughs) Um, when I reached 18 and I got uh, a wonderful job working on expedition boats out from Cairns. So I relocated up to further north North Queensland and did um, many stints traveling the, the Coral Sea and up through the Kimberley region, 
um, from Darwin to Broome, um, itineraries from Darwin to Broome. Um, I've taken, we took the boat down to Tasmania, across to New Zealand, up through uh, Melanesia and Papua New Guinea. So I, I really got to experience life on the water for um, many of my years in the 20s. And then I became extremely grounded <laughs> upon the earth, um, relocating to Cairns to have my, or to Karanda to have my my first born child. I am a stepmama of a beautiful daughter and then birthed my own daughter at home in Karanda. Um, and then in between all of that, I did travels overseas, backpacking through Nepal and uh, India, Nepal, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, did some backpacking through New Zealand as well. Um, I lived in Melbourne for six months until I got really cold and couldn't handle the winter. Um, I did a snow season in Jindabyne, uh, lived in Brisbane. Um, yeah, so I've done a, a bit of living and moving around until I finally put my roots down here in Jabakai country and um, really sunk my teeth into permaculture. So my first question really is, you know, why is permaculture an important aspect of your life? So why is it an important aspect of my life? Uh, to start with, really, I, I stumbled across it. I didn't really know that there was even a thing called permaculture. Uh, I was living my nine to five rat race job um, in Townsville and drinking, would you believe it, five copy, coffees a day um, because I was rather, um, my adrenals were exhausted, not that I was aware of that at the time, um, working 70 hours a week in a real estate job after I, it was sort of the first career move I made after all of my years of traveling and working in hospitality. I, um, I yeah started a career through because I was inspired by some like my friends from school's mum was doing it it's a really beautiful company um, they were very family friendly and gorgeous people um, but what I came to realize in that role was um, it was all happening when the the global financial crisis happened and uh Selling houses for people was something that they were doing not because they wanted to, but because they had to. So there was a lot of emotion and challenge around those transactions. And uh, I guess that was uh, the, the learning uh, or realization of um, the type of person that I am. And it was, it became more of a role in counseling <laughs> and, uh, had a lot of people crying on my shoulder and holding space for a lot of people through challenging times, um, which was an easy extension of who I am, but also it did take its toll and that the role um, really required many hours and being on the phone all the time, something that um, I wasn't quite used to. And yes, the coffee and just um, eating unhealthy. Um, all my life I had had troubles with um, allergies, hay fever, especially um lethargy, tiredness. I had chronic, diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome in 
my late teens in high school, which um, took me out of school for two terms. So that I did have these underlying health things going on, but never really an awareness of what the true cause was. And I think I was a bit disheartened by, you know, the GPs going to the doctors all of the time and just being told, here, take these hay fever um, pills and snort this um, hay fever. It was just all of these like prescriptive um, things to do, but never really looking at, at what was causing it. Until, yeah, until I got quite, um, quite ill, I was struggling with, um, you know, each, each month when my moon time would come around, it was really quite, um, challenging and I was living with a friend and she said that, you know, this isn't normal. You really should get this checked out. So I was, um, introduced to an amazing doctor. I'm not sure if they're still there. Dr. Rodney Mullins in Townsville had uh he was a a gp but he also was a um, chinese medicine um doctor so he had kind of the east and west combo happening and it's a really nice mix and he was the first person i sat down to who really just sat and listened asked me a lot of questions and listened and um we did a consultation for about 40 minutes and he really explored a lot of things, my lifestyle, my work habits, my hours, my stress levels, and in particular, what I was eating. Oh my gosh, like diet really has an effect on our health. Um, And that was at, I think, age 26. So removing dairy and wheat from my diet gave me a whole new lease on life. And it also perked my interests and curiosity into the food system. So that was kind of where it all began. Once I started looking at um, in Townsville, most of the food is grown um, in the Bowen Air sort of basin south of Townsville. To my surprise, it was all being sent down thousands of kilometers to Brisbane and even further to be separated and resold and reshipped or traveled in um, various forms. Uh, A lot of road travel here in Australia, back up to Townsville, to the grocery stores to be purchased. And at the time there really wasn't much in the way of like a local market for um, farmer's market in that sense to buy direct from the um, the farmers. And there wasn't really any health shops around. So that kind of um, birthed uh, food for thought with a a lovely woman, Diana Condolis, who came up from from Sydney and started the conversation at the same time I had started, uh, joined the local Townsville permaculture group. Um, because if you start searching health and well-being and food systems, permaculture is certainly something that pops up in that search. And um, that was really a transformative time in my life um, to connect with my tribe, I suppose, and be having these meaningful conversations around our food system, the connection between our health, um, how to, you know, the accessibility, like how could we actually um, become activists in a way of not just talking about the problems, but actually finding solutions and and bringing what we wanted, which was access to local fresh food 
um, into our communities and permaculture really was the key to bringing it into the garden. So um, I went on to do my PDC, which is a permaculture design certificate, um, majorly inspired by my now partner, Blake Hudson, the earth artisan. Uh, he he went along and did it and came back and <laughs> he was in a rental and I just remember him going to his house and he was making compost on cement in the in a in the very large cement driveway and he had um, veggies growing out of bathtubs and he was growing on cement with um rate you know no deep gardens and um, mulch and hay. And there was vegetables coming out of this like soil matter that he was creating and um, composting all of his food scraps. And uh, it seems so normal to me now, but back then it was like, wow, this guy's doing something really exciting, very different. And he was just, um, he was just in his zone. He was having a great time and happy to share and really kept talking about this amazing course that he did. So um, so I booked in and with my busy schedule, I had to cancel or reschedule three times and I finally got it, got to it the third time. Um, it was, my teacher was, uh, Darren Doherty. So he has Regen Ag in Australia. He's helping a lot of, um, broad scale farmers implement larger, um, regenerative systems with, um, holistic management and key line farming, um, really, really exciting work. In Australia and around the world and it was done up here with um, um, Kim and Georgie Cruz um, at Free Range Permaculture. They've gone on to actually um, do work in the holistic management and with Darren Doherty onwards and upwards so um, we have become the the permaculture design course providers in Varnal Queensland now um, but there I'll, I'll fill you in on the journey between then and here and how we got to be in that space um, in that particular course um, I studied alongside Costa you might all know Costa from Gardening Australia and Costa's Gardening Odyssey and um, some other really special people and yeah it was a it was they call it putting your permagoggles on and I can attest to that after witnessing the transformation of my experience in that course but also of all of my students that come through even my two-day workshop um, but the 10-day PDC really is a, a life-changing um, paradigm shifting experience and so with that, with that knowledge and um, new life skills, I went home and, and just started growing in my garden. I had an 800 square meter block on Garden Street in Mundingborough. And Blake also had a, a property called the Permipad um, in Aikenvale, not far from each other along the beautiful Ross River. We used to bike ride to each other's house and um, yeah, I think those two places really became our little sites, activation sites where um, our community grew in the food for thought and permaculture um, ways, um, became an activist or worked for North Queensland Conservation Council um, 
doing things like organising marches for coal seam gas and doing screen filmings of really important and potent environmental issues at the time. Um, yeah, so it was a really, you know, leaving hospitality and real estate and entering into the environmental um, I suppose it's political as well, um, but just having these really meaningful conversations around what is what was happening um, in terms of health and environment and where we wanted to take it. And really, it was amazing because it's hanging out with people who are solutions focused. Uh, you know, they're willing to sit with and look at the very important and challenging issues with the world and there's a thing called deep ecology which is you know just looking at how what that effect has on our spirit um when we're you know we look at the the shadow side of things and if we actually sit down and um receive and uh, acknowledge the state of what industry is doing to our environment which is completely unnecessary. There is certainly ways for us to meet our, um, our needs, um, food, fiber, medicine, lifestyle, technology, all of these things in a way that can be regenerative. Um, the, the solutions are there. So when we see these kind of very unfavorable practices happening, it can be challenging, um, so it's it's deep ecology is a way to really acknowledge and process that um and and that's what you know these communities or groups organizations um you know there's space for that to connect in that way but also to get our hands in the earth and actually um do what we can um in our own homes gardens and within our communities and if we all did that it would just make a big difference onwards and upwards we don't need to wait necessarily (coughs) for um industry to change we can vote with our fork and um, we can do things like um, uh, divest, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) divest, um, which is diverting our money and investments into people and places that are doing less desirable um, and less innovative um, work and into amazing organizations and social enterprises that are leading the way. Anyway, bringing it back to that question, um, why is permaculture important aspect of my life? Um, It's because it transformed my life and gave me a a really beautiful way of of mindset, of seeing the world and engaging. And um, my health really has, um, has really improved. My social networks have improved. And I now live in a beautiful um, home that we've been building and uh, and I have a beautiful garden that I can just go out and and pick pick um, organic produce from and my livelihood now is mainly um, centered around teaching permaculture and um, yeah I just have amazing beautiful clients and people that come into my life so that's why it's so important and because it's I've touched on it but because it's solutions based so I feel like it's um it is going to be and is being adopted by many people around the world in many forms it's not just gardening there's that 
If you look at the permaculture flower that David Holgram put together, we have the ethics and design principles at the core. Um, but we have all these domains of society um, and the physical and the invisible realms that we can be redesigning to meet our needs in that sort of regenerative outcome. So people care, earth care and equality or fair share. And that's, you know, from um, people usually think of permaculture in terms of uh, nature stewardship, land and nature stewardship, which is a huge aspect because it's, you know, meeting our needs with food and we, we're so intricately connected with the land. Um, but our buildings as well, how we build and what we build with. Um, and then there's tools and technology. We have land tenure and community governance um social permaculture is something i'm really passionate about as well and um, i've done some amazing training with robin clayfield who i'd love to have in this segment one one time so stay tuned for that one um, but dynamic governance and group decision making all of these things you know there's permaculture ways of actually coming to decisions and working um, with groups to meet our goals and our aims that leaves everyone feeling um, regenerated and it's a, a harmonious experience you know we've all been in that maybe you've been in that situation where you've worked with groups or been in not-for-profits or even in your own um, work organization and it, and it can be really challenging working with people so there are processes um, within that we can design into working with people that makes it um, harmonious and regenerative and there's also finance and economics. There's also our health and spiritual well-being um, and education and culture. So those are you know, the different domains I just touched on then. And we always start with ourselves, our zone zero zero, our inner landscape, our, our thoughts, our behaviors, our beliefs, our own personal patterns to... Um, to really observe and interact with and then implement the principles to create change. Uh, and then, you know, beginning with our, you know, what's in our house and how are we designing our home? And then our zone one is what we're, you know, what are those elements for meeting our needs um, existing just around our house? How are we feeding ourselves? How are we dealing with our waste and, and closing this, the loop? Um, are we, do we have worm farms and are we composting? Are we growing our own herbs and salads? And, you know, the list can go on. So then we've got our zone two, which is that area of our, our garden and our home that we might visit. Um, maybe every you know once a day or once every second day it's not something we engage with constantly but what can we put in those places to really um, improve our lifestyle and um, have a, a positive environmental impact and and it goes onwards and outwards so zoning is a really big part of of um, any of the design process really so in zone three is somewhere we might visit three to four times a week 
zone four maybe once a month and zone five is untouched it's nature we don't engage with it we just ensure that it's protected um so if we live uh, live in urban environments we really might just have a zone one or two um maybe a zone three um if you don't yet really engage in your outside environment but look if you have a permaculture garden you're extending your living space out into the into the garden and your lifestyle really expands because it's not just existing in the things that can happen within the doors and the windows under the roof Um, something to think about there so The second question is, how do you integrate plants specifically from a herbalism perspective into your home garden and community? So for me, plants are a huge aspect because that's what we're really putting into the ground when we're doing permaculture from the nature stewardship aspect. Um, But what I really what I find, what I have found really interesting is I used to look at a plant from the perspective of, hey, oh, this is an orange tree and, um, or a banana tree and um, I get fruit from it. Great. But there is so much else going on with these particular, the plant kingdom and these beings and they play a huge role in terms of ecosystem functions. Um, so a banana we use as a support species quite a lot here in the tropics and yes it gives us bananas that's that's always exciting and there's so many different varieties not just the Cavendish ones that you get at the supermarkets um, one of my favorites here is our dwarf Cavendish which came from my grandmother I've got a whole lot of plants that have heaps of meaning that came from her and I will be sharing with you today about the elderberry tree being that that's my sort of um, must have in a permaculture garden and we are the elder tree podcast so I thought it was quite fitting um, but plants yeah I mean I have so many outside of my garden people are like well you even have plants inside your house and I do we have um we have plants that just you know oxygenate the house and um and hang because they're just so beautiful um from a high bookshelf that I don't want to put books on because it's too far to reach but the plants sit up there and look pretty and um you know taking carbon dioxide just purify the air really and I have Brahmi in my house that I pick um, and eat a little bit each day when I do the dishes. Um, But you'll find jars of water and plants that I um, harvest from outside, like a lot of the greens. And I'll bring in once I pick the leaves off to use and I'll stick them in the water and new roots will grow. And it's just a really simple way to propagate I can't bring myself to to throw the stems into the compost container um, because new plants can grow from them. Um, We also do a lot of sprouting. So that's sort of in-house. It sits on the deck, but, you know, you can grow gardens in your house, grow food in your house simply by sprouting. Um, But walking down my front stairs or my back stairs, I've got 
perennial tropical greens and salad bars growing, tomatoes, a herb spiral of herbs, a vertical garden with herbs and flowers that can be eaten. The moment I've got snow peas going crazy with our current sort of winter spring. Spring's my favorite time of year in the tropics. Um, so yeah, plants have really been, um, in terms of herbalism, uh, I, you know, there's so many ways to use plants and that's what I, uh, so what I really learned is that, okay, well, there's this whole design aspect of how to put things in the right place at the right time of year, um, to have an efficient and abundant garden. But, uh, it wasn't until I really started, yeah, I, I um, was introduced to Isabel Shepherd, who was a herbalist in Australia here. She lived um, in the Sunshine Coast, I believe, and she wrote an amazing book called How Can I Use Herbs in My Daily Life? And this became a bit of a Bible for me because all of the plants that she has listed uh, sort of tropical and subtropical and I can grow where I live so that became um, a book that you know has you know, lots of notes in it and bookmarks and I've got it out all of the time I still use it just to come back I think I know a plant and then I'll just revisit it oh wow there's more different things I can use use it with so um, yeah I guess plants there's to, she says to know them is to grow them. To grow them is to know them. To know them is to use them. To use them is to love them. And then happily, herbs become your happy. Your herbs become your way of life. That is a quote from Bertha Rappert. Um, and Isabel Shepherd has it in the opening page of her book. And this is my desire for you, is what Isabel says. And that's my desire for you too, once you begin your permaculture journey, is really to um, pick plants as your ally and start off slow. They're like people. We build relationships with them and it takes time. I'm still gaining more information and receiving more embodied um, knowledge from each plant as I use them so bringing them into my kitchen and just you know like comfrey for example has so many um, ecosystem um, services in my garden from um, improving the soil to I put it into my weed tea to ferment as a, um, a lovely um, easy to make fertilizer I put I, I feed them to my worm in the worm farms I just lay them down the leaves straight around my um my plants just as a living like I pluck it and use it as a mulch um to feed certain plants I look at them if I if I get a message from them that they're looking a bit sick or they need um some energy I'll put some leaves around it um but yeah, just, you know, bringing it into the house and implementing it or integrating it in a way of herbalism. Um, it's a, it's a, a practice that we do regularly um, to bring in the roots, the leaves and aloe vera and mix it in the met, uh, por, uh, mortar and pestle and make um, 
band-aids or put it as a, a cover over our skin if we've um, hurt ourselves otherwise known as nip bone um, but if we've got sore I mean we even use it for sore tendons if we've, we've had boils in the past um, one of the summers boils were getting around and so we even applied it over boils and it, it made a huge difference um, improved the brought the boil out and made things um, healed it um, but we made what I made chickpea fritters with the leaves the other day and so you know it's just learning from other people and um, practicing these things um, just it's such it it's like it's been sitting in my cells and I'm sure for others it there's like a innate wisdom that goes back a long time and it's been forgotten and so uh, just doing these things really is, um, it's like coming home and it's like a remembering. And I'm not sure if you were as a child, you know, played witches and made concoctions and things like that. It was certainly part of my childhood. And, you know, as a grown adult now and actually doing it with some knowledge of how these plants work, it's um it's very very empowering um so yeah I, I suppose um my home and garden are very connected um community wise I share plants when people come over um and happy to share you know I do a, a one day workshop at my house um for how to cook and prepare many of the tropical wet season edibles so um, I guess that's my my way of giving back to community and sharing um, plant herbalism in that way. And moving on, because <laughs> I've got so much to say. Um, well, the third question I'll be asking our interviewees is, do you have a favorite plant that you recommend as a must-have? And uh, do you include it in your home and garden and why? So for me... Oh, it's a hard one. I'm sure everyone will say there are so many plants. Um, but I think today I just touched on comfrey and that's that's very much used a lot in my garden for many reasons. Um, but elderberry really has a, a special place in my heart. So I, and being that it's the Elder Tree podcast, I thought it would be a really good one. Um, it is a plant ally. So when Twiggy said, I'm doing the elder tree, not for profit, it really kind of pulled one of my heartstrings. It was like, Ooh, tell me more. How can I be part of it? Um, but the elder, the elder tree I had started to learn about, it was something that people talked about in a mysterious sort of way. Um, when I first joined the permaculture group in Townsville and, it was um, it was a group that was really made up of a lot of wise women and wise men in their later years and a um, bit of a tea and bicky group. Gorgeous, gorgeous people. Um, but when we came in, we were like, let's get a community garden going. Like, let's do perma blitzes at each other's houses. And they were like, great, guys, go for it. You young'uns, get amongst it. And so that's what we did we activated a community garden um at the railway estate community garden 
And so it was like really see, you know, people were happy to help and share and I'm bringing, you know, like plants just started arriving. And I was, that, was the, that was the way I was starting to learn about plants because you don't know what you don't know. And so I was kind of used to the, the food plants that were available at the vegetable shop at the supermarket. Right. And then it's like, oh, wow, there's like how many species, hundreds of species of varieties of tomatoes and just like my world opened up just understanding that um you know around seed savers and the heirloom varieties of all of the annual plants and how we're really you know you get like one or two varieties at the supermarket where there's so hundreds of types that we can start growing and that can um, have better taste and amazing colors and shapes but um perennial plant wise I didn't even know the difference between perennials and annuals so when I was like oh wow these plants that you just put in the ground once and they just keep growing and expanding and you can propagate them and share them with other people um, so I was starting to learn there about these new types of amazing tropical fruits and um, fruits and berries and herbs and ground covers and bushes and everything how to build a food forest with all these perennial tropical plants that I'd never seen before. Um, but elderberry just never showed up. And so I kept looking out. And then one particular day I went to visit my grandmother, who was an avid gardener as well. And at the front of her stairs, um, facing her stairs, was this bush that I'd seen there for years. But it was covered in these lacy white flowers, clusters of these flowers that sort of had umbrels and fanned out. And when you look really closely, each individual little white flower is a little white star and it's unmistakable. It was like, this is it. This looks like an elderberry flower. And so I, I spoke to my grandma, she's, she's like, yeah, it's the first time I've seen it flower because I usually just cut it back. She was like really good with secateurs and she just loved to keep everything in form and shape like a topiary queen. Um, but she was getting older and she was starting to letting th starting to let things go. And luckily the elderberry had time to to get a bit taller and flower and she explained that the gentleman across the fence saw it and said, oh, we have elderberries in New Zealand where I'm from. I haven't seen one for years. Do you mind if I harvest it? I make a beautiful cordial with it and I'll make you some. So we went upstairs and she had this um, elderflower cordial that he had made and we tasted it and it was delicious. And I said, went and picked up um, some, did some research and figured out, oh, it's really easy to propagate. I can just cut um, a stem and pop it in some water and let the roots grow or in some soil and keep moist. And um, so I'm pretty sure <laughs> like I have spread and shared that plant with so many different people. Um, and yeah, grandma had been given it as a plant, um, many moons beforehand, didn't know, like the person didn't say it's an elderflower, it's just pretty. Um, so it's really important to sort of, um, you know, to hand over a plant when you're sharing it and just give the story and, and, and tell people, share what it is so that, that, you know, there's this amazing resource that had been there pretty much underneath our nose, like it was under the stairs. <laughs> um, and yeah, just wait, the, the time appeared for it revealing itself or us, um, you know, noticing it. 
And so I brought it to Karanda. Um, I lived in a few different properties before we started building our place here and Biola. Um, so I planted it in different places along the way. And then when we got here, I put it into our garden. And I guess it's, um, it's a really good windbreak and edging plant. It's, uh, you know, like a fence, a, a, a hedge that you can forage from and eat, a food hedge. So we fedged it um, around our zone one garden um, in the line from our house to the outdoor shower, which is, existed at the back of um, Blake's parents' house. So we all cohabit the same property. And um, at the time, like we literally started with a caravan and a little roof over the top with a deck out the front, um, two adults, two girls, two children. And we, um, yeah, it's been a journey. We have milled um trees on site and had uh, a gentleman come with his lucasaur and cut the trees into um or into it became wood then uh, timber and um, we were able to cut them into sizes we needed to to build our first stage which was our living dining area um and you know opened up the space just a little bit around our home especially on the northeast side and let in some light and air and then we've been replanting since um and so that direction we had no bathroom so we were using the outdoor shower at the back of their property we needed privacy and elderberry grows really fast there are i think around 26 different species of elderberry um i think we have the sambuca nigra is the one that most people know about it grows sort of more in temperate climates like a big tree um i think we have the elderberry ca uh, canadensis which has more of a suckery um it it's got a, a sucker characteristics where it pops up um, and spreads around the initial planting um but grows like a, a bush more so here in the tropics um, definitely water loving. I find mulberry does the same when I look at mulberry trees um, down south they grow like big trees with like trunks um, whereas the elderberry and mulberry up here is more of a bush it's got much more thinner branches that kind of willow out and down um, but nevertheless they grow well and abundantly and produce a lot of fruit um, so I have used the elderberry um, from a herbalism perspective. Each year I collect the berries as they, uh, as they become ready because the plant will actually be flowering and producing ripe berries at the same time. So you've got the flower to the new berries, which are green, which are a bit toxic. You don't eat them at that stage, but when they are juicy dark um purple berries you can squeeze them and make it they make a beautiful purpley pink dye um, and the birds are loving them that's when they're ripe so i'll just grab some cut them put them into a bag and freeze them and just keep adding to that freezer bag and that makes it really easy to then when you're ready to prepare and cook them you can just use a fork 
and peel like um, pull the frozen berries away from the all of the stems because you don't want to use the stems and it um, prevents a big uh, mess because if you're just pulling off the ripe berries you just get purple dye everywhere so there's a little tip um, Actually, I have some blogs on my website, earthmama.co.co, um, about the recipes and a bit of a story about elderberry there if you wanted to read on that and get some more information and the recipe. Um, but yeah, I make a, a sort of cough syrup for um, the flu season winter each year. And, and I do believe that helped us a lot when we um, did contract the the flu, um, the pandemic flu that went around, we, um, you know, we spent four days in bed up on the fifth day and then back to normal. It did take two weeks really to get our energy, energy levels back, but with the herbal antivirals we were taking and the elderberry cough syrup, which is literally, I did this time add um, clove and cinnamon um, when I boiled it down and, um, and we use a, a really gorgeous local honey, um, to make, yeah, the cough syrup. So that's a big part of our life, um, is utilizing the berries for that. And then, yeah, using the flowers as decoration, the edible. So putting, putting them in, um, on cakes that I make, um, I love making cakes for people for their birthdays, so that's a decoration in salads as well. But yes, of course, the elderflower cordial. I like to put um, the uh, lime leaves, kaffa lime leaves in there as well. And we grow limes on the property, so that all goes in beautiful mix. Um, so that's how we use it for ourselves. Um, but all parts of the elderberry can be utilized um the, the it's they say the elderberry gives freely its flowers and its berries um but if you were to utilize the stems or the trunk you would um it has been used uh to help induce vomiting so if there's ever a need um for that if you have um, poisoning on any level and you need to bring that up you can make a decoction but of course I am not a qualified herbalist I am a home herbalist and I practice on myself so you should always get professional advice um, but that's just some insight into um, how it's utilized in that sense but from the garden perspective it creates its biomass it is like you put it in it grows fast so um, it's used a lot for chop and dropping I must say though in the wet season up here if I was to chop and drop the stem it would literally grow roots lying in the earth and a whole new plant will grow so I really chop it back and then put it under cover like under our deck and let it dry before putting it out as um you know, as stems to use in a compost or as a chop and drop. Otherwise, I'll just have elderberries growing in all sorts of places. I don't particularly want them. But yeah, use it as a windbreak. So when you're doing it from a design perspective, you can create a lovely privacy, green walls, um, 
and um, and windbreak. So utilizing it on the edges of your zone one, zone two, and zone three gardens. Um, the birds love it. So it's nice to have near the house so that you can see and watch all of the beautiful bird species in your area come in. It is fodder and habitat for many, many animals. Um, bees, oh my gosh, you can see so many bees buzzing around. So we have a um, a native beehive in our vegetable garden. It just, we found it in the log, um, not far from, you know, in our garden still. So we moved it into the veggie garden just to help with pollination and because it was close to the elderberries and elderflowers. So definitely helps um, feed the bees. And um, yeah, I also put it in the weed tea, but a great living mulch as well. So the leaves will just pop back and grow back really quickly. Um, right now I've got beans um, along a trellis that have just continued to grow and they're growing up. So I'm literally harvesting beans out of the elderberry because the vine's gone in through it. Um, that's called stacking, the stacking principle in permaculture. But the plants did it themselves. I just observed that it was doing it. It wasn't my initial intention. Uh, so those are all sort of the practical sides of elderberry, but it is known as quite a mystic, um, magical plant. And you can certainly, I invite you to now jump on and do some research and learn, um, there's a lovely website called the Druids Garden and she shares a lot about the magical side of um, of elderberry, um, men used to walk, well, people would not walk past, they say in folklore days, um, walk past without taking their hat off and acknowledging this specific, specific tree because of its magical properties. And it was known as a protector. So people would always have one around their house. Um, it, it was sort of superstitious not to bring um, the elder into the house or burn the wood. You wouldn't use it as firewood. Um, definitely a musical tree. They say the plant has a song and it's uh, also known as the pipe tree. So you can, um, when you cut it, Blake has actually made a pipe out of it. It's a beautiful little pipe he carved and the stems have like a thicker outer layer and in the center of it, um, it becomes like a soft plith. So you can let it dry and then just push the inner circle out of it. And then you've got a pipe. So it was used to make flutes and apparently pan flutes um, and pipes. So really revered in that aspect of um, it creates um, a, a way for people to make music um, and yeah the flowers themselves look beautiful you could just tell that fairies would want to hang out and um, it was known as the the queen of the fairies um, in the fairy realm so yeah do your own research check it out I think I've given you plenty of reasons why it's um it should be used in a home garden um, and the final question or second, fourth question is, can you share an example of when you utilize plants to improve your health? And what was that experience? Um, <clears throat> going back, it was quite a unconscious experience really. But when I, I touched on having chronic fatigue in my late teens and that, um, I was so out of it and exhausted and tired and brain fogged that I really was in the care of my family. But 
my mum was um, continuously calling the school saying, look, she's not well enough to come back yet. And um, one particular day, the the lady who worked there at the school said, look, um, I've this has been going on for months and I think perhaps um, my son had a similar kind of thing and it turned out to be chronic fatigue and maybe she get that checked out. So we got the diagnosis, even though it's not really, it's like a syndrome. So it's just a collection of all different kinds of symptoms. I can't really say why it happens um, from that sort of GP medical expertise. Um, but what she did was go to a naturopath and um, he, he recovered. And so she gave us, basically put us on the path to, um, finding health. And so we connected with this local naturopath and she gave me a heap of, all I remember was that they were, um, it just tasted like dirt. It was like watery brown herbs. And I just had to drink it every day. And I have no awareness even to this day of what the, of what the concoction and herbs were. It was cold. It was coming out of the fridge. I was taking tinctures as well. And, um, and, um, at the end of the day, my strength came back and I became healthier and it's been a lifelong lesson really to, um, be aware of, you know, not burning out and just really look after myself. So I am grateful for the experience. Um, but that was the first time that I realized, oh, wow, the doctors couldn't help me, but the plants, the, the local naturopath gave me these weird plants and I got my health back. So that was a seed that was planted that long ago. Um, but now, yeah, like we use aloe vera, regularly because of the sun and also it's really cooling on the system um elderberry of course um but culinary wise i make a lot of herbal teas from different herbs in my garden but it's 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 a very intuitive experience and it's just a just try out new thing walk out and i just feel into oh i might try that today like yesterday i put together dill tarragon and cranberry hibiscus leaves and made up uh, a hot pot of tea and um yeah i mean i'm not fully aware of all of exactly all of the um everything that it's doing to my body i know there's lots of um, trace minerals and um there's things happening from a health perspective because so many of the plants that you can eat daily are tonics and they're just tonifying our organs um but i haven't yeah i haven't really had the flu for years i haven't been to the doctors um oh okay here's one when i birthed my daughter nova at home um i had a midwife supporting me and when i birthed her i got out of the water and I laid down and um had a nice cup of tea and had um you know was learned to put her to my chest and did the breastfeed alert started learning how to breastfeed for the first time and probably 20 minutes to half an hour had passed and my midwife said um do you i think you know like are you still having contractions it's time to release the placenta and i was like oh my gosh that's right i've got this other birth to do and the the contractions really had stopped and so we waited a little bit longer and so then i had kind of got to that 40 minutes to 50 minutes time and um 
And so what I did have there in preparation was some tinctures, some um, blue cohosh and uh, what was the other one? <clears throat> it's slipping my mind right now, but I had a combination of two different herbs in concentrated tincture form, specifically for, or black, maybe it was black cohosh, um, for this for helping um, either bring on labor or help with the, the contractions. So and um, I, I took that and within 10 minutes, um, the contraction started again and I was able to release Novus Placenta um, in a really, you know, at home in a really lovely way. Um, we did a lotus birth, so we um, had a special little towel bag um, that was gifted to us and she kept her placenta with her for a couple of days. Um, until it naturally fell off but yeah so in you know in that instance I had a complete natural birth and I, I utilized herbs to be able to um, you know not have really intense things like cinetosin, um and to just self-administer at home under the guidance of a professional and have a, a, a very beautiful birth so I invite you to look at ways that you can implement or integrate those kind of you know what do you need in your life um, and what plants can actually um, potentially help you with that um, learning a lot and teaching um, permaculture to families through the nature kids program and um, you know one of the lessons is doing an edible weed walk and just you know revisiting dandelion that plant is amazing I just went and got a heap of seed so I can throw plant it all through my garden as well because the the tonifying like it's a tonic and what it does for our liver kidneys and gallbladder um it's amazing and it's just you know it's also known as prince of paupers you know it's like this very common looking plant that we all love if you've ever had the chance as a childhood to blow the little puffballs off into the distance those seeds um but it's got a royal like it's it's of high value in terms of what it can do to support us in our life. So look into that too. All right, final question. What is alive and thriving in your life right now? Well, this podcast, this is the first one. So I'm really looking forward to exploring permaculture herbalism with all the amazing people around the world that have wisdom to share so this is a whole new experience for me that I'm excited to be part of also um, just yeah sending good intentions and prayers to the elder tree not-for-profit uh, to see that spring up and become um, what it's intended to be within the North Queensland community around um, bringing you know herbs back to the people and supporting um, the educators and the wise people in our community to be able to share that wisdom and for events and just bringing community together um, so that's that's an exciting thing yeah so looking to help out with some events like film nights and stuff like that film events um, and just about to have a lovely week off on Magnetic Island. That's a, a very special place 
to me and we have an annual holiday there just to really um, release all of the tech, detox, detect tox, um, and just get back to um, swimming in the salty waters, which I don't feel comfortable doing up here in far north Queensland with crocs around. Um, And yeah, just finalizing up my online program really. So that's, that's alive and thriving in my world. Um, and I put that back on you. So what is alive and thriving in your life right now? Can you bring that up to the surface surface and really acknowledge what you're focusing on in your life and yeah, permaculture, community, plants, people, my workshops, have all um, been something that's been filling filling my time and my heart a lot lately. Um, so is there anything else that I want to share with our listeners about permaculture and herbalism? I feel like I have rambled on much more than I thought I would. Um, so I, I will close it here and I just want to yeah invite you to come back and join us in the future episodes there's so much excitement happening you'll see you'll be able to learn about self-care with Jessica um, and sacred herbalism with Stephanie Hazel and meet other herbal educators with Twiggy so so much goodness to come All right, so just listen to the outro. You can learn about how you can be part and um, join us in this Elder Tree journey. Thank you all so much for listening and I look forward to connecting with you in one way or another in the future. The Elder Tree is a not-for-profit organization that is in the beginning stages of creating a grassroots herbal education center and healing sanctuary in the Atherton Tablelands of Final Queensland. To find out more, go to theeldertree.org and follow the journey on Instagram and Facebook. You can also donate to The Elder Tree via our podcast channel on Anchor or via the website. If you like the episode, we'd love you to subscribe. And if you know who we should interview next, drop us a line. See you next month. And in the meantime, may you grow them to know them and be blessed with good health and many plants. Thank you.